All right, today we're with Pastor George Wright. You guys are going to love this conversation. He is a bat-wielding machine, and he came in today to talk about racial reconciliation in our city, his own college story, and the merits of Pepsi versus Coca-Cola, which I think should be obvious. Stay tuned. Hey, guys, this is Hampton with the More and More Podcast. I'm here with the great and powerful Pastor George Wright. Um, he's with us today. Uh, to talk really all things um, ministry related, I'm pretty excited about it. So George, just start us off. Who are you? How did you get to Shandon? How did you come to be the pastor of Shandon? I know that's a long story, but give us the Yeah, that's, scoop. that is several questions uh, wrapped up <laughs> in one. And I will say um, I've been introduced a lot of ways with Great and Powerful. This is the first time, so thank you for that. You're welcome. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I, I uh, felt called into ministry right as Megan and I were getting married, coming out of college. We got married young. I was 21. She was 20. And, That's the way to do um, it. I've oh, heard. man. Yeah. yeah. Well, you haven't followed that <laughs> yeah, example. I've heard. But, uh, but yeah, so we, we were married young and uh, really uh, had a, a pretty incredible experience of God calling me into ministry um, and recognizing this is what he had wired me to do with my life. And so... Uh, initially came on staff at Shandon right out of college, which is pretty incredible for us now to see the way the Lord's brought us full circle. But I worked here in student ministry for a year, and then we moved out to the great state of Texas. Uh, and I attended seminary at Southwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, and then moved to Atlanta. My dad's also a pastor. I went on staff with him for a couple years, mm -hmm. and then uh, we felt called to plant a church and felt like that was part of our calling from the beginning. And so we launched out, planted a new church, a new work in northwest Atlanta mm -hmm. in a growing suburb that was very unchurched. When we started out there, it was like 87% unchurched, best we could tell by all the demographic oh, wow. research. It was a very unchurched community. And I uh, had a great experience there, man. Pastored that church for 10 years and saw God do a lot of great things. And and really um, didn't think I would ever move, didn't think I would ever leave. I mean, we yeah. loved what we were doing, but um, God presented this opportunity in the midst of the, the transition that Shannon was going through after mm -hmm. a longtime pastor, Dr. Lincoln, announced his retirement. And so uh, when we were approached, we just have had the philosophy in our family, in our marriage, that any time an opportunity uh, in ministry is presented, we at least want to pray through it and right. lay it before the Lord and be open-handed. And so we did and really had no uh, thought or even desire to, to move. But as we began to pray, the Lord made it really, really clear that he was turning our heart and turning our direction to Columbia and, yeah. and to South Carolina. And uh, so we had the, the privilege of transitioning here. Shane, it's been just a little over two years now that I've Yeah, we were, we were just talking, this is your third Easter. Yeah. Um, which is just... Pretty crazy. Yeah. On, in some ways, it feels like it was yesterday, and in other ways, I'm sure it's, it feels like it's been a long journey up to this point. So. It all depends on the week. That's yeah. Right. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I want to dive into your college experience. You were a student at Carolina... And yes. a member of Greek Life, we had a president of the uh, 80 Pi sorority on as our first ever guest. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and that's the sorority that Megan was a member of. Oh, or awesome. Or is a member of. Awesome. And so, yeah. And so, cool. it's no secret Greek Life gets a, a bad name sometimes. Um, 
what was your experience in Greek life like and what specifically shaped you about that experience? Yeah, and I, I want to come back to that. Um, no secret that Greek life gets a bad name yeah. in just a moment. But Fairly or unfairly, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That it's, but there, there's definitely some truth to that. Um, so if I were to rewind back to even my childhood, my, my dad and all of his brothers, all of my uncles were mm-hmm. in a fraternity at Carolina when they were in school. Wow. They were actually all fraternity brothers together, which was yeah. pretty cool. And so I had grown up hearing these fun stories, like kind of neat stories even, of my dad's involvement. My dad was a Christian in college, so he was a right. Christian in a fraternity. And so that, to me growing up, that was kind of the normal story. Yeah. And so when I came to Carolina, I, I knew it was something I wanted to at least look into and investigate. And so um, really began praying about it. I, I did not go through... Uh, joining a fraternity in the fall of my freshman year. Uh, yeah. I just felt like I needed to get on campus and get acquainted with college life and figure out my place. Um, but as I really began to pray about where the Lord wanted me in college and how I could potentially make an impact, which was a desire I had as a freshman in college, make an impact for the sake of the gospel, yeah. um, the Lord just kept prompting me, leading me towards Greek life. And so in the spring semester uh, of my freshman year, I joined a fraternity. And I did so with really the intent and purpose of trying to make a difference and trying to get to know some guys that were not typical church guys. And so that's how it all began for me. And I I certainly understand that a lot of people um, can think poorly of Greek life. And there's all kind of traps there's all kind of temptation i mean it's yeah you're going to see some of the worst of the worst but you're also going to see some great things and there are some strong leaders in greek life and there is an opportunity to make a difference and so uh, the way i experienced that that negative feeling i guess you would call it um was when i joined the fraternity i had a a small group of christian friends that actually were incredibly critical of me yeah and, and said oh man He's walking away from his faith, and he's yeah. he's going to start backsliding. And I was like, hold right. on, I, I thought we're supposed to be light in the darkness. I mean, in, right. in there's something about salt and light in the Bible. Yeah. And, and yet um, a, a group of people that I knew, they didn't really understand that. They didn't see that. And so there, right. there was that was interesting for me to navigate that and go, man, I, I feel like I'm going to live the mission here. But there were some people that didn't get that. They didn't understand it. Yeah. And so... Um, it, it, was, it became a great experience for me. Uh, really, some of my closest friends in college and even some close friends to this day are from the fraternity. Mm. Um, got to see God do some really neat things yeah. and realized it definitely was a dark world. There's no question about it. I mean, it, for me, it was the first time in my life of really having to live out my faith around a bunch of people that were not living by faith and yeah. at least not living by faith in, in Christ. Yeah. They, they might have had faith in other things. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but that was a great experience for me because it was really learning to navigate. How do, you, how do you live as a Christian in a dark world? How do you interact with friends who don't agree with you? How yeah. do you interact with friends who are, who are lost, who are in need of a Savior? And it really, for me, was was the beginning of of my calling to ministry. I didn't know that at the time. It right. was the beginning of me developing a passion for for guys who are far from God right. and recognizing, man, somebody's got to tell them about Jesus. Somebody's got to show them what it means to live by faith. And right. so it was it was a great experience for me. Was it was it harder for you dealing with 
the Christian friends who are not yet, because it's like you're learning what we're going to talk about later, which is the live sent mindset of we're living out mission. But it's also a discipleship moment that you're thrust into unexpectedly because you've now got to kind of deal with almost a, like a weaker brother aspect of, hey, I know you don't get this, but this is right. like, we're this is what we're supposed to do. So you're supposed to join me in this however you're supposed to do it. Was it was it harder for you dealing with, with Christian brothers and sisters who were looking at you differently or was it was the mission harder for you? I would say initially it was harder with some with some Christian brothers and sisters who didn't understand. Right. But at the same time, I was also training to become a young life leader. Right. Uh, and so I was actively involved in yeah. in learning ministry and getting involved in ministry. And so I, I had kind of those two different worlds going on at the right. same time. And so um, once I joined the fraternity, got involved, and was an active young life leader, I think for the most part, those who knew me recognized, okay, he really is <laughs> taking yeah. this seriously. He really <laughs> yeah. is living out his faith. And then once I joined the fraternity, and specifically once I moved into our fraternity housing, which at the time was McBride Quad, I moved onto <laughs> the quad, it was really difficult yeah. because all of a sudden... 24 hours a day, I was just surrounded by things of the world and trying to navigate how do you, how do you truly live as salt and light Right. when, man, there's a lot of darkness all the time, all around you. And so, it, it, again, it was a great learning experience for me, but it was, it yeah. was a challenge, especially that first semester when I moved into fraternity housing. I was <laughs> like, man, this is another world. Yeah. But God used it in a great way in my life. That's awesome. So you were in Young Life, but you were also involved at Shandon That's in right. their college ministry. Yep. How did the college ministry um, and being a part of that community change the way you were, I guess, brought up in the faith in college? Because uh, it's different coming from, like, I grew up in a Christian family where both my parents were, we were in church four to seven times a week. You probably were in church all the time, way more <laughs> right. than that even. Preacher's kid. That's yeah, right. and so, like... Moving from that to where your faith is your own and you're relying on community and not mom and dad um, can be difficult for some of our students. So how did being involved in community change you in, in college? Yeah, Shannon College was a huge gift for me personally. And so much of that came directly through our college pastor at the time, Steve Turner. And I know a lot of folks uh, know Steve and, yeah. and Steve has been very involved in Shannon College even recently. Um, but Steve, Steve recognized, I think, um, that, that I was trying to live out my faith in Greek life. And right. he very graciously said, how can I help? How can I come alongside you? Um, he met with me for a semester, uh, doing some discipleship stuff. And then when I w was actively involved in Greek life, he would come to our fraternity housing and he would help me run a little Bible study, uh, in our, in our lounge there. And, so it was a great gift to me because I knew I had a support system. I knew I had some brothers in Christ that, that were in my corner and were praying for me. Um, and that was, that was a great gift. Um, the part I jumped over, though, because when you talked about um, just navigating your faith away from mom and dad, away from home, yeah. first semester of my freshman year was certainly uh, learning how do you do this when your folks aren't here and... Yeah. And is this really what I believe? I mean, I, I, I would say that was the, the season for me where I really wrestled with, okay, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've always been known as the preacher's kid. Here I am at Carolina. Nobody knows I'm the preacher's kid unless I tell them. Yeah. 
and nobody knows what I believe unless I share it. And so is this really what I believe? Yeah, and um, I, I took uh, several weeks, really about two months, I think, uh, my, my first semester of my freshman year, to just dive into the scripture on my own and to really pray and seek the Lord and say, is this what matters most to me? Like, yeah. do, I need to, do I need to go try something else? Yeah. <laughs> um, or is this what I really believe? And it wasn't like a crazy wild time for me. It was yeah. just a soul searching time. Right. And um, I, I really felt like the Lord was showing me his grace and his mm-hmm. mercy and leading me deeper into my faith as I began to stand on my own, uh, grounded in the Lord. And that was a real gift for me. Yeah. I, I really resonate with that coming into college out of the, you know, uber Christian upbringing to, yeah. to, to being discipled, especially like evangelism was like this whole new world for me. I mean, we, the most we did was paint a park bench on a mission trip and occasionally like go to Walmart, right, and share with a random person at Walmart because sharing with our friends was too scary. Um, And so in seeing, hearing your story and then working in the college ministry, the college ministry has has started to take ownership, I think, of this live. Oh, man, it's it's been awesome to watch. It's exciting for me to watch, watching students students get students like our producer, Caleb, uh, (laughs) who is uh, doing some awesome stuff. And so what what role do you see our college ministry playing now um, First, just on the campus, but also in our city and the life of our church. Yeah, well, I, I would say first and foremost, um, college ministry, in my opinion, should be the front lines of ministry as it involves reaching this city yeah. and reaching the next generation. I mean, I, you know, college campuses today in, in our nation really have become an unreached people group in a lot of ways, and so we've got an incredible opportunity and incredible potential with a group of kids that, that are pursuing uh, the faith, that really are f- passionate followers of Jesus Christ, to be missionaries right where the Lord has planted them on the college campus. And so, I mean, I, I see it as frontline missions, man. I mean, it's, it is an opportunity uh, to really take the gospel to a place and to a people uh, they're far from God, and that's an incredible privilege. Yeah. So that that's part of it. I mean, that's that's the missional side. That's the man live sent right where God has placed you. Yeah, You've got that good. beautiful opportunity. At the same time, you're also getting to experience Christian community in a way that you never have before, which is a great privilege. And you're getting yeah. to you're getting to lean on one another, pray for one another, support one another, and that's really necessary when you are on the front lines of ministry. And so. There's, there's this great privilege uh, in, in Shannon College and really in any collegiate ministry environment where you're navigating how do we live out our faith to really make an impact on this campus, right. which in turn then makes an impact on the next generation, which in turn can make an impact on the world. Um, and at the same time, how do we grow in Christian community together for the sake of the mission, right. not to be isolated from the rest of the world, but for the sake of the mission, let's lean on one another and let's spur one another on and stir up one another uh, for the sake of, of good works and the faith. And that's an incredible privilege that, that college ministry provides. Yeah. With our, with our church especially, I think we're uniquely positioned because there's so much going on in our city. Like there's, um, which we're going to talk about later, but there's the, the racial aspect of our city and that we're, mm-hmm. we're a really diverse city. Um, especially in the South, to be Absolutely, this diverse is, yeah. is pretty impressive. We're also, our church, though, is like 
the intergenerational aspect of our church, which is really it's really comforting on Easter to be to show up and watch college students walk college students walk in with their friends who don't go to church, but also to see like the what we would call the blue hairs growing up. But the 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 older generation of our church is doing some of the same stuff. And yeah, so, that's awesome. Um, how do you how do you see the college ministry connecting with the intergenerational aspect of our church and how do we plug in? It's something we've struggled with as like leaders in the college ministry, but also I would just love to hear your thoughts about um, where, where college students fit in to the generational aspect of our church. Yeah, that's a great question. In my heart for, for college ministry would really, I would say this of any area of our ministry here at Shandon, um, my heart is that we see the value uh, of being fully integrated into the life of the church and right. and the the temptation or even the danger would be that each area of ministry kind of isolates itself and college ministries over here in one corner saying you know we just do college things and kids ministries over here in this corner saying right. we just do kids stuff and student ministries over there and then you know married couples are that that to me is actually uh hurting the mission if that's the way it goes yeah. and so i, I want to do everything we can to say look we're we're in this together we are a family and yeah, yeah there's different that's life right. stages in a family but the family comes together for the sake of loving one another growing together uh, <coughs> serving together and so i would say to to any college student man you need to dive in with both feet this this is your church this yeah. is your opportunity uh mm-hmm. to live out your faith as a member uh, of a church on mission, and you're welcome here in all that we're doing. I mean, yeah. come serve, come be involved, come uh, jump in in any form or fashion, and uh, I, I just think that's a real privilege that we have here at Shandon, being a multi-generational church with a lot of different demographics represented. Yeah. That's a great gift. Yeah. So in switching gears, I want to talk about some of the, I guess, the major points that you focused on in your two-plus years uh, now at Shandon. The biggest thing, anybody who's visited Shandon, anybody who's visited Shandon College knows our big motto is live sent. That's right. um, in the college ministry, we say, after every Thursday night worship service, we say, Shandon College, you are sent. We have, we have taken that, just stolen it right yeah, from you it. to, to it. use it. Um, but I'd really love for you to talk to college students, especially about what it would mean for them to live sent right now. We've touched on it a little bit, but what does it look like for each college student um, to do what you did in a fraternity, which is to try to take back ground in this very specific way. How do college students engage in that live-sent lifestyle? Yes, man, that's such a good question. And and I do think that's something that we have had to wrestle to the ground over these last two years. It's, it, it's exciting to, to cast this vision, to lay out this vision, we're going to live-sent. But, I mean, we've had people go, well, does that mean I, I just need to go on a mission trip? Does yeah. that mean the only way to live sin is to be a missionary or, right. or to be in ministry? And the answer to that is, man, living sin is living out your faith right where God has placed you yeah. and wherever God has placed you. Where, wherever you go, you are on mission. And in college ministry specifically, as we were talking about a moment ago, I mean, there is an unbelievable opportunity because you are surrounded by lost people. You're yeah. surrounded by people that are trying to determine what they believe, making huge decisions as to how they're going to live their life and where they're going to go and what this is going to look like for them personally. And so you've just been given an unbelievable opportunity 
to have real authentic relationships with people who need to hear the real authentic message of the gospel. And so, I mean, yeah, for me, it was in a fraternity. Um, Mm -hmm. For somebody else, it may be right in their dorm room. It may be in some kind of club or organization that they're a part of. It may be in some form of leadership on campus or an athletic team or intramurals or whatever. There are multiple opportunities to join together with people who can become your real friends who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And I I just really believe that the greatest way to live sent, the greatest way to live the mission is to have true, authentic friendships, real relationships with people who need to hear the good news of the gospel. And so I think that the temptation is to say, okay, that person... Um, they're, they're an object or they're a target or they're a goal in the mission, but we should be saying, no, that person is my friend right. and I want my friend to know Jesus. That's I awesome. want my friend yeah. awesome. to understand what the gospel can mean for their life specifically. And I yeah. care about my friend, so I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to share this good news with my friend. So that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Something that's been really encouraging for me as a staff member is, um, I hope I'm not letting the cat out of the bag here, but in our, uh, ministerial staff meetings, right, where all the ministers come together. I didn't know. Those meetings are top secret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you can um, talk about it for no, sure. No, we, uh, <laughs> something that has been so encouraging is about, I would say, six months ago-ish, um, we, you started holding us accountable to be sharing the gospel and to be living sent. Um, and that was like, first of all, it was a heart check for me that I'm not just giving lip service to the vision and not actually playing a part in accomplishing it. Um, but hearing you talk about how you're living sin. And so I would love for you to just tell college students how you're living sin as our leader. Because um, a lot of times I think I get caught up in, in saying live sin, live sin, live sin. And then I have to look at my life and say, oh man, I've got friends that I spend time with that I haven't shared Jesus with. And that's not good. Right. Um, so yeah, how are, you, how are you living sin as our leader? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, there, there's several ways for me. And I will say, first off, it, it's... It's easier said than done when you're in full-time ministry. And yeah. that surprises a lot of people. Yeah. But what often happens when somebody's in full-time ministry is they're just surrounded by people that already believe or already agree with them. Surrounded and by safe people all the time. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so easy <laughs> yeah. to get into that holy huddle or to get mm-hmm. into that Christian subculture yeah. where every relationship you have is somebody who already understands yeah. what you believe. Um, and so I have to be very intentional about that. And so there's there's several ways that I'm intentional about that. Number one, I mean, shoot, we live in a, a neighborhood here in Columbia, yeah. and we attend the neighborhood functions, mm-hmm. and we have done everything we can to get to know our neighbors, and I've got some really good relationships with people in our neighborhood. We want to spend time with them. We, yeah. we want to have them over to dinner. We want to accept invitations that they right. bring before us, you know, to attend a dinner or a party or whatever the case may be so that we can have a genuine relationship right there on our street where we live. So that's part of it. Um, Both my boys play baseball. I want to be actively involved in helping coach their teams and being at the ballpark and being at games and practices so I can get to know other dads, so I can get to know know, other fans and other parents that are there and have genuine relationships. I, I want to be serving in that context. Um, we've had a really neat opportunity over the last year uh, with a group of guys here in the community to host something that we just call Back Porch Conversations, yeah. um, where we, we just meet at somebody's house on their back porch, and uh, everybody who attends 
is supposed to invite somebody that's an unchurched or, or uh, an unreached friend to come, and they just ask me spiritual questions, and we just have a, a dialogue and a conversation that always leads to the gospel, right. and it's it's some tough questions that get brought up, um, but it's really fun for me. I mean, it, it keeps me sharp, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in the Word, and it also gives me this opportunity to be engaging with a group of guys that really are far from God, but are seeking and, and trying to determine what they believe. And there's yeah. always good follow-up from that where I'll get the chance to go grab coffee or a meal or something with somebody after one of those gatherings where I really get to share the gospel. And that's been a great blessing. The other thing I would say, and then uh, we, can, we can move on or you can ask something else about it, is I just really want to be involved in the community outside of church world. And yeah. so whether that means you know serving on a, a committee or a board that's not just a Christian committee or board, whether that means getting to know our leaders here in the city of Columbia, being actively involved in some of the things that are happening in the city of Columbia, that's important to me because I wanna be rubbing shoulders and having relationships with people who are not just from church world. Yeah. And that's been a real gift. Yeah, I, I love what you said about your neighborhood, especially of like you actually go to other people's events and yeah. just are participating. And man, some of those things are awkward. Like yeah. man, our, our family always participates in Halloween and I love yeah. Halloween. I think it's one of the most missional days of the year right. because everybody comes out of their homes and they're in the streets and they're right. in the neighborhoods, kids everywhere. It really is great. I, I Honestly, to this day, even after spending my whole life in the church, I do not understand why people are afraid of Halloween. I think it's one of the greatest gifts that we have as yeah. far as getting to know people um, who, who are potentially really far from God. But, you know, we've been invited to a Halloween party in our neighborhood that was pretty wild. Yeah. Like one of those parties where it's like, I don't really know if I want my kids here. Yeah. Um, but we have made the decision, we're going to go into some of those environments and we're going to try to prep our kids and we're going to have conversations with our kids yeah. around some of the things they see and some right. things they hear. <laughs> right. But that's a great discipling moment for us in our own household to say, yeah. look, we want to have relationships with people who are far from God. And yeah. people live differently than we live when we're following Jesus. And you need to know that. And you need to be prepared for that. Yeah. And it gives us the chance to say, hey, we really do care about our neighbors. And yeah. we don't want to live isolated or, or live in a hole away from everybody. Right. A term that we hear um, a lot on staff and, and hopefully as like engaged members um, is gospel hospitality, uh, which is... To, I, I understood the concept, I think, before you came on as our pastor, but hearing it more has like led me um, to really grasp it and also see its value. So could you just define gospel hospitality and then talk about what role that plays in this missional lifestyle? Yeah, um, I appreciate you asking that because for me, the, the whole focus of what we're doing really is this live-sent mission. Get outside the walls and, and go live your faith. But the, there's three pillars that we're pointing to right. in how you do that or, or what, to, what to be involved in for the sake of, of living the mission. Gospel hospitality is the first pillar. And for us, uh, that means a willingness to push down barriers, to tear down walls that would prevent someone from having an opportunity to engage in a conversation around spiritual things that really matter. And so, um, I mean, really, this comes straight from Scripture. Yeah. Uh, Romans 15, be hospitable, show kindness, um, do whatever it takes uh, to be able to, to 
present to someone you're welcome here. It's yeah. rolling out the welcome mat. It's rolling out the red carpet. It's saying, look, we want you to be here. You're invited. You're not an outsider. You're welcome as an insider. Yeah. Um, it's this whole idea of belonging before you believe, which yeah. I think oftentimes in church world, we kind of get that backwards where we say the only way you can belong here is if you first believe like us. Right. Well, I really think there's a lot of people that are not going to believe anything mm. that we believe until they recognize we do care about them and they have a place where they can come and process their thoughts and their questions and their concerns. And so the, the statement for me is, hey, we want people to recognize and believe that we care yeah. so that then they can care about what we believe. Yeah. And so it's, it's just, man, do whatever it takes to show that you really do care about somebody yeah. and they are welcome into the conversation. So that's gospel hospitality. Yeah. Um, so this is a good transition I think you you also talk a ton about racial reconciliation yeah and it's not just you like our our convention as a whole the Southern Baptist Convention is talking a lot about racial reconciliation they've recognized that we I think to be blunt have have failed mm-hmm. at this in the yeah. past and, yeah. are, and are trying to seek to be better um, which is always good to be evaluating and to try to change and our city again to talk about it is is uniquely positioned for sure and that we're about 50 50 um, yeah minority uh, versus majority, white versus black, that sort of thing. Columbia, South Carolina has, uh, there's a ton going on. And it's also no secret that we are a uh, predominantly white church mm-hmm. uh, historically. And so where do you see our church playing a part of racial reconciliation in our city? And what do you see as the state of race relations in, in the city of Columbia? Yeah, well, let me let me talk about the state of race relations first and okay. then, yeah. then transition to how our church can be involved. Perfect. Um, some of this goes back to my experience as a college student at Carolina. Um, I honestly was shocked as a freshman when I got to campus and saw guys wearing Confederate flag belt buckles yeah. and with you know Confederate flag stickers on the back of their pickup trucks. I'm like, is this... And it was flying at the state house yeah, for, and the, forever. Yeah, the flag was still up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I'm like, is, yeah. they're not joking. Like, this is not, this is not to be funny yeah. or, or like, you know cute like this is something that a lot of people are really holding on to this Mm. is pretty serious here and so I recognized when we were first praying about coming back to Shannon and moving back to Columbia that this is an issue that's still very much alive and is an issue that has got to be dealt with and so I just really uh, felt like as the Lord was leading us to Shannon that this was going to be part of the conversation that we were going to be actively participating in yeah um I would say Columbia and the state of South Carolina has a long way to go. I mean, in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways, the conversation really didn't start happening in a real healthy way at a statewide level until the flag came down. And if you remember, part of the reason the flag came down is because what happened in Charleston with the Charleston 9 shooting, the race-driven hatred terrorist act that happened at Emmanuel A.M.E. And so... We are in the beginning stages of having this conversation in a healthy way. And it's yeah. it's going to be a long, slow, painful conversation. But it's yeah. a conversation that we have to have. And so that would that would be how we step in as a church. What can we do? Well, number one, we've got to have the conversation. Yeah, We've got to be willing to admit through repentance that we haven't handled this the right way in the past. I'm just talking not just about Shannon here. I'm talking about the church in general yeah. in the South has not handled this the right way. And so we need to seek forgiveness. 
we do need to be in this posture of humility and repentance. Yeah. We need to be willing to enter into this conversation with people who don't look like us or yeah. believe like us. We need to be willing to listen. That's really hard for church people to do, yeah. but we need to be willing to listen. And then I think we need to do everything we can to actively develop relationships and friendships with people who are outside of our tribe or outside of our normal comfort zone to say, look, we believe that this is a gospel issue. Yeah. We believe the gospel tears down these walls mm -hmm. and we want to be actively involved in living out the gospel, which means we are actively going to be involved in racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the way that practically plays out for me personally is I've been doing everything I can to have relationships with pastors and friendships with pastors who are from different ethnicities than myself. Yeah. Um, I want to be actively involved in the city as it relates to this issue. Yeah. Um, I want to be participating in things like MLK Day and the celebrations that happen in our city that maybe in the past we weren't a part of. And I just yeah. want to say, look, we've got to do whatever we can do to help advance the ball in this issue because this is a gospel issue. Yeah. And we believe every tribe, tongue, language, nationality is going to be gathered around the throne. And so we need to see that here on earth as yeah. it is in heaven. And I also think it's just great for, if we want to move the needle in um, evangelism and mission, it can't just be um, going to your, your racial counterparts, right? It has to be everybody everywhere all the time. Right. <laughs> and so um, especially whenever two blocks away from my house, there's a neighborhood that nobody looks like me. If I can't um, love them as a, as a brother in Christ and as people who are, some of them are far from God, then I can't be expected to do it on my campus or anywhere else as well. And again, this is part of living the mission, living right. sent, because um, I think the reality is what the church has often done, and again, this is not just a Shannon thing, this is a big C thing. The church has said, look, if, if you want to come, you don't have to look like us to come and be a part of us. Yeah. But that's still putting up a barrier right? because most of the people that do come do look like us. right? <laughs> and so if we're going to take this serious, we have to live the mission. We have to go. We yeah. have to go to the neighborhoods and the communities where everybody doesn't look like us right. and we have to live the gospel and we have to do everything we can, again, to develop relationships and yeah. serve needs and be actively involved outside of the walls of the church yeah. um, so that those relationships can form and the conversations can be had. That's so good. So this is a faith and culture podcast geared at college students. And so the last, I guess, serious question before we dive into some other, other stuff um, is what do you think is the, the biggest cultural threat to the, the American slash um, Colombian <laughs> college student? What is, what is the biggest thing that's facing college students um, today? And how do, they, how do they handle that kind of threat? Well, that's a big question. Yeah, it's a huge question. It's a really big question. <laughs> um, I'd say there's a couple things. And I don't think this is just for college students, but I think it is magnified mm. for college students. I think number one would be we live in a consumeristic culture yeah. where pretty much everything that is, is directed towards us marketing, advertising, the messages we get is all about getting more for yourself. Yeah. And um, we all buy into that in some form or fashion. Some buy into it more than others. But I think, I think it's a huge barrier to us actually living the mission is to get over this idea of I've got to get more for me 
and, and transition into the way of Jesus, which says, I've been given a lot. I've got to get rid of it and do whatever I can to mm-hmm. use what I have for the sake of the gospel advancing. Yeah. That's, that's a big change in the way most people think. So that's a huge barrier, that yeah. consumeristic mentality. And going along with it is just kind of the, the self-righteous, self-absorbed mentality that so many of us have that causes us to only spend time with people that are just like us. And this is not just a racial issue. Yeah. This is just goes back to, man, it's easier to spend time with people who agree with me. Mm-hmm. It's easier to spend time with people who look like me. It's easier to spend time with people who live like me. And so getting out of our comfort zone and viewing the world as an actual mission field yeah. where we're saying, man, your needs are incredibly important to me and I'm going to do whatever I can to step in and be involved. That's a heart of compassion. Yeah. It comes straight from the heart of Jesus. And a lot of people honestly really struggle to ever get to that point of living with a heart of compassion because we're so self-absorbed and we're so consumed with what we want. I think, you know, social media contributes to that. I'm yeah. not going to go on a crusade against social media. I was, I was actually going to ask right what role you thought social media. Um, but it, it but, makes yeah. us, it makes us all constantly looking at ourselves and thinking about ourselves oh, yeah. and worried about ourselves and consumed with ourselves. Yeah. And it's really hard to live the mission and it's really hard to advance the gospel yeah. when you're obsessed with yourself. Yeah, I was I was struck even a couple weeks ago. Um, I, I just turned 24 two days ago. Um, and so I'm like older, supposed to be wiser. I've been discipled. I work in ministry. And yet I was like, really convicted by just how much sheer time I was spending on social media. And the only thing you do on social media is refresh and hope more people have liked your post or have seen or have been, and it's just like this draining, self-absorbing thing. And so I was convicted even as like a minister to be like, oh man, this is like, this is threatening to me. Well, and I would lay this out even as a challenge that, you know, I think one of the one of the lost arts of the Christian faith are the spiritual disciplines. And uh, one of the the arts that has been lost the most is the spiritual discipline of fasting. And we often think about that, you know, when it comes to food and drink, but I really think in this social media obsessed culture, we should have this spiritual practice and the spiritual discipline of fasting from technology, fasting from social media. I mean, I really think it should be part of even a monthly rhythm. If you can't take 24 hours or 48 hours away from social media, you really have an issue that that needs to be addressed. And so I, I would encourage everybody, man, set a date on your on your monthly calendar where you just say, you know what, I'm not going to turn my phone on that day or I'm not going to turn on my social media apps for, for 24 or 48 hours just to let your soul breathe and yeah, to, to really have the opportunity to, to think about something outside of what is being yeah. pumped into your world yeah. through social media and through technology. Yeah, I think we we tell ourselves too that we need it and forget that there's been generation on generation on generation. Every generation other than us has not needed it to survive. Yeah, this will really date me, but um, (laughs) Megan and I got our first cell phone the year we got married (laughs) and we shared the phone. We didn't even, we didn't even both have our own phone. Like, so, I mean, we were getting out of college when we got our first cell phone and it was a shared phone for emergencies. So, yeah. That's pretty crazy. That's awesome. <laughs> well, um, George, thank you for, for kind of taking us through your story and your um, experience and calling as a pastor. I would love to just get, we call this section Gut Reactions. Nice. And so um, I would just love to get some unfiltered responses from you. 
don't worry. I'm not going to like ask you to explain Calvinism to me or anything <laughs> on a gut reaction. Why but, not? That would be ooh, exciting. Uh, maybe, maybe next time we'll bring you on the podcast, we'll bring you on for that. Um, so this is an audio podcast, so you can't see George right now, but George walked into the room holding a giant wooden baseball bat, which is right. kind of terrifying. Old He's still school. holding it. Yeah. Um, he got it from a movie, right? A Few Good Men. A Few Good Men, yeah. Um, stole this idea. Yeah. Um, so exp- explain bat. that scene, and then I'll ask yeah, you the, yeah. the question. Yeah, so it's that's a lawyer movie. Probably nobody that's listening Military to this podcast lawyer has movie, seen yeah. it. Yeah. Tom Cruise back You before. need to see it. Watch good movies again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tom Cruise back before, he was like totally crazy. Yeah. Uh, used to make some decent movies. Um, and this one has Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson and I think uh, Demi Moore. But anyway, yeah, yeah, it's a lawyer movie, military movie. And so when he's like trying to come up with his defense for the case, he's always carrying a baseball bat and it's his thinking bat. So... I uh, sometimes carry this thing around when I need to think. I love that you were just walking through the church yeah, at some point right. today with this yeah. bat. Just well, you know, it's the Monday after Easter when we're recording this, and so if I need to just bash something, you know, just because of the, <laughs> the, the, the spiritual hangover after Easter, oh, it's, yeah. it would come in handy. So. Yeah. so the question is, since that is a military movie, what is your favorite military movie that has come out? Ooh, favorite yeah, movie. Ever. ever. So I love military movies. Yeah. Mine's Saving Private Ryan. Oh, well, you just stole mine. Oh, well, Saving Saving Private Ryan is my favorite military movie by far. Yeah. Are you to the um, point where you can like quote it, or is it just... I think I can quote quite a bit of it. pretty close. Yeah. All right. Our, our listeners are also dying to know what makes George Wright emotional. So what is the last thing that you cried over, and, and why? Well, I, the last thing I cried over actually was this weekend... Um, Megan and I went and saw a movie called Unplanned, which I yeah. honestly highly recommend because it mm-hmm. is a movie around um, the issue of abortion and yeah. you know the woman's right to choose, and it's it's a very thoughtful. I've movie. heard really really good things. about Yeah, that. and man, when I was watching that movie, I mean, there were several times when I was just literally in tears, mm-hmm. um, just thinking about number one, the reality of how difficult it is for so many young women who find themselves in a situation where there's an unexpected pregnancy and they're having to navigate this major life-altering decision. Yeah. That is overwhelming to consider. And then to think that a lot of women think the only option is to then terminate that pregnancy and the, the ramifications of that and the long-term consequences of that is gut-wrenching. And yeah. I mean, I, I just I felt like it was one of those things where, yeah, very emotional. But outside of that, um, the last couple of times I've been emotional is just, man, some of the things that I've been able to experience as a father recently, yeah. just watching my kids grow up and just, man, just absolutely love my kids and love what guys yeah. are in their life. And Your oldest is, is 15? Yeah, freshman in high school. Wow. Which is that's, crazy. Yeah, that is, man, crazy. that's wild. Yeah. And your, your youngest would be... We don't have to. Yeah, my youngest is seven. Yeah, okay. I don't want to broadcast it. Um, that yeah, those are those are like wild times. Yeah, man. That's that's incredible. It's overwhelming. Um, are you a Pepsi or a Coke guy? Are you kidding me? I'm grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh man. So I'm a huge Pepsi fan. My sister. I think Pepsi is nauseating. Oh, like in fact, if I go to a restaurant and I don't drink uh, soft drinks very often, but if I were going to drink one. And I ordered a Coke, and they said, we only have Pepsi. Is that okay? Every time I say no, give me water. 
Wow. Yeah. I'm, just take it as a sign from the Lord that you're not just, supposed to be drinking soda that's today. That's exactly right. Yeah. That is. Yeah. I don't even know what to say to that. Um, <laughs> Pepsi all day, every day. Yeah. yeah. Last go reaction question. And this is actually, I'm just curious. So I don't know if people will like this or not. But what is your, what is your preparation like for your Sunday sermon? So it is always incredible to me as a, as a 24-year-old ministry novice watching someone <laughs> preach a 30-minute sermon week in and week out. It seems really, really tough. So what is your, what's your preparation like throughout the week? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I try to take a, a short amount of time, 30 minutes or an hour on Monday afternoons, just to read through the text that I'm going to be preaching the next week just yeah. so it's on my mind and I'll be thinking about it all mm-hmm. week. And then Wednesday afternoon, I block off uh, a little bit of time where I do some initial research um, and just try to really be thinking about my preparation and where I'm going. And then Thursday afternoon, or Thursday all day, excuse me, Thursday all day, I take no appointments, um, don't schedule any kind of meetings with anybody, and it's study from really sunup till sundown. Um, just trying to hammer out all the details and I get to a, a basic uh, sermon transcript uh, that I can then uh, put into a short little version of notes that I'll have with me on Sunday yeah. when I go into the pulpit. So um, that has worked for me over the years and you know it's one of those things where Sunday comes every week and um, I've just had to, to learn over time uh, what my rhythm is and what the process is. But on that Thursday, I'm, I'm fine-tuning the details for this coming Sunday, and then I'm looking out a couple of weeks so that the process is continuing for the next few messages that are coming yeah. down the road. So there's kind of I'm kind of always in sermon prep mode. Wow. Um, but there's a weekly rhythm that goes with that. Yeah. So do you have a question, Caleb? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, we, we just walk through headlines and kind of get our guest thoughts. It would be, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about um, the attacks in Sri Lanka. For those of you yeah. listeners who don't have cable, I know that's popular in college, don't listen to any other podcasts. Uh, <laughs> there, is, uh, there was a terrorist attack over Easter in Sri Lanka that I think yeah, it was horrible. When I looked, the death toll was up to 290, I think. Yeah, um, over 300, and, it, and it's yeah. saying that there probably will be many more just because of the severity of the injuries. Yeah, so we we live in luxury almost as Americans to be able to live in a place where we are free to practice both Christianity but also any any religion. We're we're free to practice um, without threat of this kind of thing. Our security is is we we take it for granted. It's it's so high. And so I guess just some general thoughts on, on what's going on there. I mean, it's obviously horrible, but also just on what we can be doing to pray and to, to work in that part of the world to see some things change. Because uh, this was clearly targeted at, at Christians. Um, yeah, and I, I think, you know, people are surprised when they hear and recognize that there have been more uh, religious terroristic attacks since 2000 than there were, like, for the previous three or 400 years. Yeah. I mean, like, it's just insane how... Yeah. The, the terroristic attacks have escalated in the right. last few years. Um, it's just a reminder that uh, 
the name of Jesus is going to continually be offensive. Yeah. Um, we don't have to deal with the hostility and the violence that people around the world deal with. And yeah. we do take that for granted. It's, it's overwhelming how quickly we take that for granted. And we need to be shocked by this. Yeah. We don't need to turn away from it. We don't need to ignore it. Mm-hmm. We need to see it as the reality that it is. Yeah. And we need to be praying like crazy for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. Yeah. And we need to recognize that it's not going to get any easier to be a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. Yeah. And, and we lose sight of that because we don't have to live that every single day. Yeah. But that is the reality that many believers face. And I do think it should put us on our knees. It should put us on our face before the Lord. Mm-hmm. And it should give us the desire to want to be in tough areas for the sake of advancing the gospel. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we, should, we should be praying for and pursuing the darkest places in the world uh, for the sake of the gospel advancing because yeah. where it is the darkest, the light shines the brightest. And where it is the darkest, the need is the greatest. Yeah. And that's part of living the mission. And it's hard to think about. It's yeah. hard to fathom. Um, but I really believe there's some that are probably even listening to this podcast that God's going to call them to some very difficult places. Yeah. And we should be willing to go because awesome. the gospel needs to advance. Yeah. And I think we should be praying specifically for these Paul-like conversions. Exactly. Especially right. in places like Sri Lanka where the, the um, you know, Muslim faith is growing and there's places, Indonesia is another place where it's just growing. Well, what if the Lord stepped into those places and raised up the Pauls, um, blinded them in the same way, right? And, and, and saw some amazing things happen. But also for the people, like you said, who are listening to the podcast that are going to go, that they would be bold enough to go. Absolutely. Um, because if God doesn't want to use this, right, then, then what's the point? And so I think he wants to use this to do something, something amazing there. I was in Lebanon last year. Um, right there on the border of where the Syrian refugee crisis is happening, which yeah. is the, the biggest refugee crisis of our lifetime. Yeah. And it is amazing to hear these Pauline conversion stories mm. of people having dreams yeah. uh, of a savior and having dreams <coughs> and seeing Jesus in a dream and not knowing who that is or, yeah. or what that's about. And then this group of Christians is willing to help them in their time of need. And they start asking about you know, here's what I saw in this dream. Can you help me? Yeah. And the Christians say yes. And they share yeah. the gospel. I mean, it's just these unbelievable things that are hard for us to fathom, but they're happening all around the world. Yeah. And, and the, the mission is advancing. The gospel is advancing. Um, and it's incredible to see. And we need to be praying like crazy for those persecuted areas because typically persecution happens, especially in the most violent uh forms and fashions where the gospel really is advancing in a powerful way yeah. and where the enemy knows he's losing ground he lashes out and so that's that seems to be what we're seeing in places like Sri Lanka Syria and others yeah. and the gospel's advancing in beautiful ways it's incredible yeah. that's awesome well we're gonna we're gonna wind down I would love to get just some of your recommendations what are you reading what are you watching on Netflix what are you listening to <laughs> musically um yeah, that you can be recommending to, to some of our students. Yeah, um, what am I reading? I, I Gosh, I read a lot. And yeah. so I've always got, the way I read is I usually have three or four books that I'm going through kind of at the same time. Yeah. Um, and I, also the way I read is if I pick up a book and I get a couple chapters in and I don't like it, I just put it away. I don't feel like I have to finish every book. I'm trying to... I have that problem bad. Yeah. I, I finish bad man, books so Don't often. Don't stay committed to a bad <laughs> book, man. Yeah. Um, don't waste your time. 
Um, so I, the, the book that I just finished this past weekend that was really great, let me see if I can get the title right, it's, uh, it's called uh, The Unsaved Christian, mm-hmm. and it's all about uh, reaching people in a cultural Christianity yeah. uh, context, and certainly the Southeast is a yeah. cultural Christianity Absolutely. context. And so it's just the whole idea of uh, communicating the gospel in such a way that people who are religious recognize their need for the gospel. People who yeah. grew up in the church recognize that there's a big difference in following Jesus and attending church from time to time. And so I, I highly recommend that one, The Unsaved Christian. Um, been reading this book, uh, I've got it with me right now, called Better Together, that's all around uh, church mergers and uh, like dying churches coming together with thriving churches and how that can advance the gospel, kind of a replanning type strategy. Yeah. That's been intriguing for me. Um, what else have I read here recently? Uh, that's a, a couple of, of books. Yeah. Um, what am I listening to? I mean, I kind of have the same go-to stuff where... What's the, your What's your go-to? I know you're a D&B fan, so... Oh, <laughs> Matthews is the best. Absolutely. So that's my chill music. Love, love Chris Stapleton. Um, I really love uh, the new old school country. So Stapleton, Eric Church. Yeah. Uh, some of these guys are a little kind of throwback. The new outlaw country. Yeah, man. I love the outlaws. That's, that's good stuff. That's awesome. In fact, little, little known fact of, about George Wright, um, I, I'll... We subscribe to the magazine Garden and Gun, and about, <laughs> that, about, that it doesn't surprise yeah, me it's, at all. It's a great, it's a great magazine. Um, but about a year or two ago, they did a cover story on Stapleton yeah. and on the New Country Outlaws, and so I wrote in a letter to the editor, um, just saying that I love this article, and it gave me the chance to talk to my boys about country music, like real country music, and so they published my letter in wow. Garden and Gun. So. Uh, I've been published in Garden and Gun. That's a pretty big deal. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> anyway, awesome. um, yeah, so, so I like that kind of music. I, yeah. I like chill music. So, yeah, Dave Matthews, Mayer, some of those guys. Yeah. Um, in the mornings, though, I, I'll always start my morning. Anytime I'm listening to music in the morning, it really is worship music. Mm-hmm. And lately, I've been listening to a lot of Shane and Shane. I uh, love the stuff that they're doing right now. Yeah. Um, there's a new Hillsong album that's just coming out. It's great. I love that stuff. They yeah. do a great job. So, um, yeah, I, there's a lot of musical variety in my catalog. That's good. So, uh, I know we just railed on social media, but as we're closing, we always want to give you the opportunity to promote. And so, uh, oh where can people find you on social media? Yeah. I, <laughs> or I'm should on, they? <laughs> I'm on Twitter and Instagram, but I don't update it a whole lot. Yeah. So I, it's George B. Wright on both of those. Um, there you go. Twitter and Instagram. Also, just follow Shannon Just follow Shannon. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> just where follow the Shannon. Shannon College. I mean, yeah. That's what matters. <laughs> Absolutely. And as always, follow the at More and More podcast. Um, you got it right this time. Yeah, dude. On Instagram. Also, leave us a review on Apple. That's how we uh, grow in popularity. So. Um, we're it's all, all about, about yeah. Popularity. I mean, really, that's if you don't hear anything else, that we <laughs> that want to be popular. That is the message. <laughs> um, but George, thank you for coming on for hanging out and talking to college students. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this has been more and more. We're out. We're out.